Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks again for joining us for yet another episode. And I'm here with a- another new friend of mine, Cassandra Zetta. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast today, Cassandra. Thank you so much for having me, Nathan. I'm excited to be here. Well, and, and th- I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I actually enjoy the process of kind of getting to know uh, photographers, guests that I have on the podcast that I don't know personally very well. So I'm going to get to know you along with our listeners, which I'm looking forward to. And we normally start off the podcast interview with a question about what, what I call the technique for time. And very simply, this might be a workflow tip or technique that you utilize in your life, in your business that enables you to create more space or more time for yourself. What, what comes to mind? I think for me, the most important tip, um, and it's kind of funny that this was the first question because this is very new for me, but as simple as scheduling off days and making a workday end time, um, not only does that make me more productive during the time that I'm working, but it also ensures that I have free time. Um, I primarily work out of my home, which I enjoy. But when you work out of your home, it's really easy to just keep working and working from sunup to sundown yeah, for sure. or even until you go to bed. Yeah. And I'm definitely guilty of doing that, especially during wedding season. And, you know, it's easy to fall victim to the grind, the work grind, and then a month will go by and all you've done is work and you've forgotten to take time for yourself. So I'm being much more intentional these days about scheduling time off and scheduling a work day and time. That's and that's really great. And and kudos to you for even just kind of developing a certain level of self-awareness and deciding that you needed to make that change in your business because there are a lot of photographers that don't proactively do just that. And this has been a theme actually as of late in many of the interviews that I've done that photographers are saying, you know what, it's it's really just kind of the simple element of putting it in the calendar, blocking off time. And it's funny how something so simple can seem so difficult at times, but <laughs> really at the end of the day if we just do it, it, it we can make it happen. We can choose to make it happen. And I, you know, I, I guess, unfortunately, I've experienced even on, on a personal level, my personal life with friends, that response, which is, you know, that the kind of stereotypical phrase, I'm busy, or I have mm-hmm. something going on. And it's so easy to just kind of give that excuse, either internally or externally, and just kind of make the assumption that you don't have time. The reality is that at the end of the day, we make time for whatever we actually find important enough. And uh, so I love that you're making this, this idea of time for yourself important and that you're actually scheduling it in, you're blocking it out. So that's, that's a great example for our listeners. And I appreciate you starting us off with that. Uh, And speaking of free time, tell us something that you like to do, or maybe a number of things that you like to do when you do have some free time. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say first and foremost, um, and especially during wedding season, I prioritize time with my partner. Yeah. When you're an entrepreneur uh, and a partnership or a marriage, I feel like sometimes even inadvertently, your partner can suffer in regards to your time because you just get so busy and there's so much work to do and all of the timelines that you're contractually obligated to. Yes. And you know, you even if you live together, saying good morning and good night is quite different than spending a day connecting and seeing each other, mm-hmm. and really just spending that time. So 
that's a priority for me. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then when I'm personally making time for myself, I travel a lot for work. And so I really enjoy traveling and exploring. And so I've been extending my trips by a few days here and there to have a little bit of fun and experiences in other cities other than my hometown. Yeah. And, What's the favorite uh, place that you've been? Oh, goodness. Well, New York City is one of my favorite cities in the whole world. I lived there for a short time a few years ago, and I always try to explore there. And then I have a wedding coming up next month in California, and a friend and I are going to go exploring in San Francisco for a couple of days after. So that'll be nice. Oh, man. San Francisco is incredible, too. And tell us your partner's name. His name is Rowan. Rowan. So what, what's something that you and Rowan like to do? I mean, is it like Netflix and chill kind of thing? Or do you like to go out to, to restaurants? Or what, how do you like to spend time together? Yeah, we're pretty chill, low key, um, but we really love brunch and we love food. So we actually spend a lot of time just like going to local restaurants and um, we enjoy seeing movies together too. Yeah. And definitely during free time, especially during wedding season, um, I like to spend my free time more relaxing because I am such a go, go, go kind of person. So, um, and, and actually connecting to that. Um, at home, I really love to do fine artwork and mm. I'm a member of our local contemplative center where I take classes on personal development and yoga and meditation and that sort of thing. And that really helps me to relax because I have to almost plan something in my schedule that includes relaxation so yeah. that I actually will. You know, it's, it's interesting. And this is just kind of off the cuff, but I'm really curious. We've talked a little bit about meditation on the podcast before. It's something that I've found or have found significant benefit from. What would you say would be, I mean, especially for somebody who is not familiar with the concept of meditation outside of maybe your typical cultural stereotypes, mm-hmm. what, what is the most impactful principle for someone who is wanting to get started in meditation for the sake of clarity of mind and for relaxation? Um, I use meditation to to recenter myself and to get back into my body. Um, I am very out there kind of person, always making connections, always um, really in relationship with others. Yeah. And I kind of tend to forget to be in relationship with myself. And meditation helps me return home. That's a really interesting way to put it. I, there is... I- there is that internal dialogue that goes on in our head kind of constantly, isn't there? And and um, th- I guess developing some clarity within that is really, really important. I know that I've found the significant benefit to the in that regard uh, from med- meditation. Is that where you see it for yourself as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's It's been very... Um a very important piece to my self-awareness journey and my self-development journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a powerful concept. And and for those of you who are listening in or maybe not f- as familiar with med- the idea of meditation uh, as you might like to be, or, you know, there's that assumption a lot of times, again, speaking to the, the cultural stereotypes of meditation equates to clearing your mind. And of course it, it's <laughs> a, it's a misnomer and, and, and as a result, there are a lot of people that are confused about the idea and maybe never get into the practice. But there is a beautiful, beautiful book that I cannot recommend enough. I know I've recommended it on the podcast before, but it's called The Untethered Soul by a guy named Michael Singer. And it just gave me wonderful perspective on the concept of meditation. So for those of you who are curious, uh, make sure you check out that resource and we'll link to it in the show notes as well. What's something kind of random that most people don't know about you? Well, I'm mostly an open book, uh, but something that most people might not know about me, for those who know me in my adulthood, um, they might not know that I played travel competitive fast pitch softball when I was younger. Okay. Um, And so that spent, 
I spent most of my adolescence playing softball. I was a fast pitch pitcher and a third baseman. And so that was mostly my life. I dedicated pretty much, we played year round. So I dedicated most of my teen years to that. And as a pitcher, I had to practice nearly every day. So yeah, that was a huge part of me. And every time I drive by a softball field, I get so nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet. And I was going to say, do you, do you get the opportunity to play still a little bit? Um, I play slow pitch occasionally here and there recreationally. Sure. Um, I'm not currently on a, in a league this year, but I enjoy it when I get to do it. Yes. Oh yeah. There, you know, I played soccer competitively up into college and it was, it was a passion. I mean, I, I was so dedicated to, to the sport and development within the sport and I only occasionally have the opportunity to, to play now and I miss it incredibly. There's, there's something about, I, I think especially maybe as, as we're developing as human beings, the things that we spend the most time on maybe are the most impactful or make the, the biggest impression. And so it's hard to get away from that thing that we love so much, but that, that, that's awesome. I think, I think it's, there's something to be said certainly for the development that comes from playing in a sport and, and certainly team sports at that. But uh, that, that's really, really great. Talk to us a little bit about photography, though. How long have you been in business as a photographer and maybe a little bit about how you got started? Sure. Yeah, I've been um, in business six years last month and I've been full time for four years. I got started in photography after college. I actually went to college for graphic design and I fell into the pre-press side of design. And for those who aren't familiar with that, it's more so taking art that's already made and making it press ready. And so my creative soul just wasn't being fulfilled. Um, and so I started looking for another creative outlet. And I had dabbled a little bit in photography during college, but nothing intense. And then after college, I discovered wedding photography. I really didn't even know it existed um, prior to my you know, online search discovery of it. And yeah. then it literally had a light bulb go off. And I was like, this is what I need to do. Um, and then I just started self-teaching and I took an online workshop and I put my camera in manual mode and never took it out until I figured it all out. And that's an interesting transition though. I mean, and, and you're talking about letterpress to photography. It's such a big, there's such a big difference. It's a contrast in, in artistic styles, at least from my outside perspective. Is there any similarities there or are they just totally separate in your mind? I think in my mind, they're very separate. Um, graphic design for me was very clean and organized and, you know, when you're in a graphic design field, everything is very structured and, and lined up and grid based. And, um, and photography for me is much more about relationships and connections mm. and play. There's a lot more play there, especially yeah. if you're designing for a company, you have a lot of limitations. Yeah. I, I feel that they're very different. Um, I still very much enjoy design, but yeah, that, photography is it. That's well, that's an interesting perspective, though, that idea of lines and how everything has so much structure within graphic design versus the very I mean, I guess at the end of the day, pretty much any art is subjective in nature. But there is there seems to be wider boundaries, if nothing else, when it comes to photography. And, and I love the fact that you, you point out the focus on relationships. Um, I, I one of my favorite things still I shot weddings for about a decade. And one of my favorite things about photography and photographing couples in particular engagement sessions were my favorite uh, because it was kind of a you know a short time frame and ideally I was able to capture the emotion 
the emotional interaction, the passion between the couples. Uh, that was one of my favorite things. If I had some decent light and some good emotion, uh, I, I'd say I, you know, I could photograph a, a great image in a Walmart parking lot. Absolutely. Um, because it really is about that, that connection in the end. And ideally, you've got some great light to go with it. So I love exactly. that, that you point that out. On the flip side of this, though, what you've been in business now for six years. You said four years full time. What's one of the toughest lessons that you've learned as a photography business owner so far? Yeah. Um, the toughest lesson I've learned is money management. Until this year, when I began working with a money empowerment coach, I did not know how to organize or save money consistently. Yeah. And so as a business owner whose business didn't actually have money in the bank, you know, if you would need to upgrade gear, or you wanted to go to an educational workshop yeah. or what have you, the money wasn't always easily or readily available for that. And when making those larger purchases, there was a lot of anxiety that went into making those purchases and it was it was harder to make them. But since the beginning of the year, with a few key pieces of information, primarily learning to save and pay yourself first, which seems really simple, but not always easy to do. Sure. Now, you know, I'm able to save every payday and I've bought new gear and signed up for workshops and I don't have that anxiety. And so it's definitely been luckily I I've been really grateful to not have anything come up during those years while I was figuring everything out financially, but I feel much more confident in my business money-wise because I know what to do with it now. Good for you. And you know what? First of all, thank you for kind of being open and vulnerable and sharing that. I know that the finances aren't or isn't a topic that a lot of people willingly will talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I would say the same for myself, at least at times. And one of the things that I have shared on the podcast before is that if there was anything that I could give advice to photographers about based on my experience, and that would be to be proactive with their finances, take care of their finances. So I'm glad that you bring this up. And and it's not so unusual. You're certainly not alone. The idea of of proactively save, you know, paying yourself, first of all, saving is, is something that is a bit of a foreign concept to a lot of photography business owners. You may be a, a you or any of the other photographers listening may be a great artist, but then running a business and managing the finances associated with that is not necessarily second nature. Um, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, one of the things that I guess kind of threw me for a loop was getting these checks. I mean, because I would shoot weddings when I first started only for, I think my first wedding was $350 uh, that I got for the wedding, but got to a place where we were charging thousands of dollars, seven to $10,000 even for a wedding and getting these big checks. It, it looked really cool. It felt really good. I, I wasn't used to seeing this kind of money or being able to talk about this kind of money. And yet I just wasn't proactively managing that money as I should have been. And uh, my business suffered as a result. My personal life suffered as a result. And so I love that you're developing that awareness now and that you're being more proactive in that. Thank you so much for sharing that. But then kudos to you for, for making a move forward on that. I think that's really, really great. Um, and speaking of gear, you mentioned gear, being able to buy new gear. Do you have a, like a favorite piece of camera gear these days? I'm really loving the 135 millimeter. Oh, is that the 135? Two, what is that? A two eight? It's a two eight. Mm -hmm. Okay, and is that for a Canon, Canon or Nikon body? Canon. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just love it so much. It's so creamy, and the compression on it is wonderful for portraits. Um, but I especially love it for cocktail hour and receptions. During that time, I really try as hard as I can to get a really great candid portrait of as many guests as I can. And it's a really great lens to be able to do that with and be able to be sneaky and catch all those really great laughs without them yes. seeing you do it. And it just it just creates really beautiful portraits. So I'm absolutely loving it right now. Now, it's interesting you point that out because one of my favorite lens, lenses back in the day, especially at, at 
uh, receptions, as you said, was the 70 to 200. Have you shot with the 70 to 200? Do you, is there a reason for the preference of the 135 versus having that zoom? I have used the 70 to 200 maybe once borrowing it from a, another photographer that I was working with um, maybe several years ago. And I just felt like it was personally too much for me. I'm kind of a gear minimalist. yeah. And so um, the 135 for me is plenty. And a lot of times I photograph a lot more um, intimate and smaller weddings. And so the 135 is plenty for me for my long lens. That's great. Well, and, and I'm 100% on board with you. I'm very much a minimalist. And uh, I've talked about the likelihood or the possibility of starting a photography business again, getting back into it. And if and or when I do, that is, I'm definitely going to be the minimalist, the guy who can probably put everything in a, in a little you know backpack of sorts and, and carry it. Because I, I think, well, there are multiple benefits there, but certainly one of them is that you get to focus on being the photographer and interacting with those those subjects versus trying to juggle a bunch of gear, all the different camera bodies and the lenses, and it's heavy and you're exhausted as a result. I, I love the minimalist approach. So that's really, Absolutely. really cool. And when I travel for weddings, all I take is a backpack with my gear in it. Oh, I love and, it. And yeah, I'm, I'm very simple with what I, what I travel with and what I photograph with. That's really, really cool. I, I want to sh- take a shift here just in a different direction. I mean, something that we talk about a lot on the Boca podcast is brand position. And uh, it's, I think, a bit of a, well, actually, first of all, it's not even a subject that's covered in, in a lot of detail or very often in our photography industry. And I think that's unfortunate. So I'm glad that we can bring some light to the idea of it here on the Boca podcast. But one of the things that can be really difficult when it comes to creating a very distinct and clear brand position, which is a brand position for those of you listening and who are not familiar with the idea, it's basically what sets you apart from your so-called competition. I'll use, I'll put the word competition in quotes, but other photographers in your market, what makes you distinct from them? And it can be tough to find a clear distinction, right? There's so many wedding photographers, so many portrait photographers these days. So that can be tough, but I have to to give you props because when I went to your website, and by the way, for those of you listening in, um, you're going to definitely want to go check out Cassandra's website. It's Cassandra, C-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A, Z-E-T-T-A.com. Make sure that you go take a look at the website. But one of the things that I noticed was that your page title is very, very clear. And, and you have your, your actual brand position built into that page title on the page. For those of you who are not familiar with what a page title is, do a little searching around Google SEO and page title, and you'll become a little bit more familiar with the idea. Uh, it's really, really important, actually, uh, for visibility on Google. But very simply, you state that your brand is about same-sex or LGBTQ wedding photography or wedding photographer. And I actually did a Google search under those terms, and you came up on the, the, the first page on Google. So lucky you, or maybe props to you. Maybe that was a very proactive decision. But what led to the decision to move forward with this particular genre of wedding photography and to, to establish this brand position? Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, so my brand position started after I planned my own queer wedding in 2011, getting married in 2012. Yeah. Of course, this was three years before marriage equality. And so during that time, things were even different than they are now. We've grown quite a bit Sure. since when I got married, but um, there was a lot of struggles around planning a queer wedding in a state I'm in Ohio. Um, Ohio had, was not one of the states that had uh, marriage equality at the time. And so when planning a wedding here, there was just struggles going in, involved. And, you know, the, the fact that I had to out myself to every vendor that I contacted, you know, hire you work open to working with an LGBTQ couple over and over again. And, 
you know, every time you send one of those emails, you're not quite sure the response you're going to get. Yeah. It's vulnerable and it's scary. And, and, and gratefully, we had mostly a really great experience with our vendors. But that anxiety that went into wedding planning when wedding planning in and of itself is already, you know, it's already stressful and there's a lot going on. For sure. There should not be added anxiety about just being scared to be who you are and celebrating your upcoming marriage to the love of your life. And so that um, experience is what inspired my shift um, within my photography business. So I had opened, actually, I started my business in the same month in 2012 that I was, I, that I got married. Wow. And then in fall of 2013 is when I overhauled my business. I worked with a business mentor cool. and I had really been wanting to focus on the LGBTQ plus community at that point. Um, but I really wasn't quite sure how to do it, especially again, being pre-marriage equality in a state where it was not legal yet. And, you know, my business mentor, she really just encouraged me to just, just do it. And um, it's, just, it's a community that's obviously very near and dear to my heart as I am part of it. And it's a community that's very much underserved in the wedding industry. And so, especially because, you know, being photographed is vulnerable, you never want to have to worry about who's on the other side of the camera, how they're judging you, what they're thinking about you while you're trying to just be open and celebrate your love. So I knew as a photographer that I wanted to change that. And, and so, and so I did. (laughs) So you did. Well, and you know what, and this, this is a beautiful segue to my next point, which is I am, I'm so impressed by the beautiful copy or copywriting on your homepage. And it's actually only two words, but it simply says your home. And I, again, I'm not sure how much this was on purpose or it was just kind of organic. It happened. But the, the, the beauty of those two words, first of all, is that it represents what you were trying to present in your brand. You're trying to give a place for the LGBTQ plus community to come to a photographer and feel at ease, to feel comfortable, to feel at home. But then simultaneously, you also speak in further copy there on the homepage about the home that you feel in that relationship with your significant other. So it's a beautiful, beautiful play on words. Uh, but also, again, from a branding and marketing perspective, you've done a, just a wonderful job of, first of all, positioning yourself, but then creating a space where your target clients are going to feel at home. And it's just, it's so beautifully done. And I have to give you major props for that. Thank you so much. That that means so much. And I'm very, um, very grateful for that. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, for those of you listening in, make sure you go check out CassandraZetta.com. And of course, we'll link to the website uh, in the show notes as well. But let's kind of move on and, and talk a little bit more about photographing in the LGBTQ plus community. It, it's a loaded topic for sure. But I wanted to dive into a particular element of it. And that is posing. Because I know that for a lot of photographers who are like, yeah, I'm absolutely glad to photograph uh, weddings for the LGBTQ plus community, but I'm just not quite sure how to approach the process. And there are multiple elements to it. And this is a really big topic. And uh, we had Bobby Brinkman on the podcast not too long ago, and she did a beautiful job of sharing her perspective and shedding some light on the topic as well. But I'd like to dive into posing a little bit and get your perspective on this. And so will you explain, first of all, maybe why it's so important just to develop a certain level of sensitivity to LGBTQ plus couples when it comes to posing and and the idea of PDA? Absolutely. Um, So historically, when photographers working with um, LGBTQ plus couples are asking, you know, how, how do you pose? How do you work with a same sex couple? That really, that question is just stemming from gender roles. And gender roles 
you know, they're placed upon us and given to us, taught by us through society throughout our lives. And, you know, we are generally, um, we are sex assigned at birth as male or female. And then we are societally developed to fit the roles of what we think a man should be and what we think a woman should be. And so when the wedding industry has, you know, marriage equality is very new. The wedding industry has historically been focused on brides and grooms. And so the grooms are, you know, sometimes they're used as props or they're, you know, they they become secondary to the brides who are so focused on in the wedding industry and who, um, yeah. And who vendors speak to when they focus on and the grooms kind of get forgotten and they sort of get forgotten in the photographs too. And, and that's not fair because regardless of what type of couple you're working with, both partners are hundred percent worth celebrating and they both deserve to be seen and celebrated within those photos. And so a lot of the supposes that have been created and developed over time, just kind of historically rely on those gender roles. And so that creates a problem when you're going into posing a same-sex couple or an LGBTQ plus couple, because you don't have a bride and a groom. You have two brides or two grooms or, you know, a pair that doesn't fit into either of those titles. Um, And so those are, that's important to remember because we want to just drop gender roles from our posing completely and then as far as talking about public displays of affection, the LGBTQ plus community for years, countless years, we've been told to hide. We've been told to stay in our closets. We've been told to not walk down the street and hold hands and kiss our partners. And, and we've not been encouraged to celebrate our love in a visible way. And so there's a lot of couples who are uncomfortable with any sort of PDA in public, whether they're being photographed or not. And so if you know you are going out and this is you'll this is much more common i think for engagement sessions because those tend to happen in public places versus a wedding day where they're inviting their friends and family so especially when you're working like in sessions and in public places you might be having a couple who might be a very affectionate couple but they're not comfortable showing it when there's strangers walking by i've actually had a couple like jump away from each other as someone walked down the street by them wow and so when this happens, or if you observe like an uncomfortable level with your couple, take them somewhere just more remote. You can find, um, you know, a, a garage or just somewhere more remote in a park or, or somewhere where you're away from everyone else, where they can be more comfortable and be more relaxed and be able to share with each other more, more openly. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, when, when working with your couples. And that's good. I mean, you spoke, first of all, the, the significance of language, language, the words that we're using and, and minimizing the significance of your traditional roles uh, plays an important part in being able to create a comfortable environment. Uh, but then also th- this idea of public display of affection and understanding what your, comf- your, your, your client, this couple is comfortable with. Do you, do you do some type of an interview prior just so that you best understand that comfortable there, I guess the comfortability, the dynamic of their relationship, their chemistry, so that you know, then how to engage with them when you're photographing them? I personally don't. I feel like I'm really in tune um, with my couples just by the nature of the kind of person that I am and the relationship that I build with my couples. Yeah. And so I don't have any sort of formality where I ask their level, but usually within the first few minutes of a session, I can kind of pick up on on their comfortability of where we are and if we need to move somewhere more remote. I personally just don't love to work in spaces that are full of other people anyways. Yeah. So I kind of 
maybe even inadvertently do go to places that are a little bit more secluded or just less busy. But I think, um, I think also the relationship that you're creating with your couples um, and the interactions that you're building just from the immediate like inquiry and, and discussions, that kind of trust that you're building, they will be able to be open with you or, or you'll be able to be able to read them better because you understand them on a deeper level. That's wonderful. And and I appreciate you kind of giving us this perspective just as a baseline for this conversation about how to more effectively pose, I guess, generally work with um, couples in an environment where maybe they're not necessarily comfortable, but being photographed. I mean, for that matter, it's, you know, we can kind of take a step back even further. Most of our subjects aren't going to be comfortable, natural in front of the camera. And so it does take some empathy and understanding using the right words and particularly in this context, uh, using the right terminology just for the sake of sensitivity to who they are, what they're comfortable with. And um, so I appreciate you sharing that perspective, but let's make it even more practical. Maybe you can share some principles that will enable our listeners who are, who are new to photographing the LGBTQ plus community, um, how to help them feel more comfortable and ultimately be able to capture that, that connection more effectively as they're posing these couples. Yeah. So um, before I get into the more practical tips, I would love to say that for me personally, a huge part of my business and how I'm able to capture those emotions and deep connections is through creating a genuine relationship, even mm. a friendship with my couples. And so getting couples to be open and vulnerable is just so much easier when they're comfortable with you, when you feel like you already know each other and you're just getting together. And I, I even often say, you know, if I a couple says that they're nervous, I'm like, we're just three friends hanging out. I just happen to have a camera in my yeah. hand and really just establishing the trust is important. And, and you can do that with your couples through story sharing, intentional listening, understanding. And like you said, really just having empathy, um, and, and just encouraging them to be who they are. Well, and you know what, to that, so this is, I'm glad that you brought this up because this brings up, uh, it just brings some thoughts to mind. You know, when it, when it comes to uh, whether it's conversation around sexual preference or racial issues, one of the things that I continue to find really fascinating, while it's important to give acknowledgement to and significance to everybody for how they are unique in one way or another. At the same time, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And when you're talking about creating a comfortable relationship with your clients, and again, this would this would hold true across the board, not just in the LGBTQ plus community, but particularly so. I, I, it seems as though, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, I would really love to get your perspective on this, but it seems as though a lot of that comfortability can be created by just engaging with them as fellow human beings versus treating them as so distinctly different. Am, am I off in that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I all of my couples, um, whether they're part of the LGBTQ community or not, I treat them like the amazing humans that they are as yeah. friends. And and really just even from my initial inquiry, e email communication, whether we have a, a phone or a Skype concert or meet in person, it's really just let's let's share stories let's tell each other about each other let's get to know each other yeah. it's really it's really more than a business transaction it's a connection it's a relationship and and that's why i believe photography is so important because those connections and that relationships those relationships rather that you're building that's what gives you access to being able to see the couple in a more deeper way and see how they truly are with each other and be able to understand them and then um, be able to 
transfer that into the images that you're yes. providing them. Absolutely. Well, and there and there is the opportunity then to celebrate their uniqueness, right? If if you created it, you established a comfortable relationship with them uh, because they just feel comfortable with you then you have the opportunity, as you said, to get to know them at a deeper level. They'll probably feel more comfortable just being more emotive, more emotionally expressive, or maybe even physically expressive in front of the camera. And so that will enable you then to, to more effectively capture that connection between the two of them, whether it's in an engagement session, portrait session, the wedding day, an event, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I, I love this perspective. I'm, I'm, I love that we're having this conversation and uh, I'm, I'm getting that much more fired up about it. But let's let's go to and I, I appreciate you sharing that perspective as kind of a, a baseline for how to approach these sessions. But do make it uh, even more practical for our listeners. Share some principles that will enable them to better approach these sessions, if you will. Absolutely. So a few tips um, when you're working with posing, a great way to start is open what I call open-ended instruction. Okay. And this means if you'd like a couple to be in a specific position, instead of using names, which therefore can potentially assign a gender role, say, I'd like one of you to be here and I want the other here. And this is what I want you to do through the action that you're giving them. They're going to assign their own placement based on what feels right for their relationship and what they would naturally do um, on their own. Yeah. And, and it maybe so this is interesting because immediately and just playing a little bit of devil's advocate again, because I want your feedback on this. When I hear the idea of open and instruction, what you're talking about is specifically removing the, the stereotypical gender roles from the conversation, which totally makes sense. The flip side of this is we, you know, as photographers and, and something that I just talked with with another photographer about on the podcast recently is. There is a tendency many times, I think, for photographers not to give enough instruction or not to be specific enough. You're not suggesting they don't be not to be specific in the actual posing. You're just suggesting that we take out the gender specific terminology, right? Exactly. Yep. You're telling the couple what you want to happen, but instead of telling who you want to do what, you're allowing them to make that decision. And so whenever I've given this instruction before and saying, I want one of you to stand here and I want the other to stand here, and then this is what I want you to do. Just based on that action, they'll look at each other and within a second, they're like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to do because they know what feels right for their relationship, Okay. whether one's a big spoon, one's a little spoon, whether they, they trade roles as spoons. And so they know what's going to feel right within that relationship. That, do you ever run into any awkward kind of silences or, or pauses there where they don't quite know what to do? Or you, I mean, you just described this scene where just, you know, split second and they're, they're kind of falling into what they're comfortable with. I, when I think about not giving extremely specific instruction to my clients, I, I just kind of picture this, this kind of awkwardness, like, uh, okay, well that what he's saying makes sense, but we don't know exactly how to act this out or do this thing. Most of your couples, you say, just kind of fall right into it. Yeah, I would say they fall right into it. That's cool. It's really just authentically allowing their love to show and what it would typically, typically look like if you weren't there. And so yeah, most of them just like don't just look at each other and within a couple of seconds know exactly who's doing what or who's taking which role um in that specific action. That's wonderful. Okay, so so first idea, first principle, open-ended instruction. Uh, take us to the next one. So the next instruction would be I believe much more in directing and guiding a couple versus specifically posing them. Posing more means to specific specifically placed in a very specific position. And so um, when you can direct or guide a couple, and especially when you're just using gender neutral instructions, like snuggle up, you know, snuggle at home, 
snuggle up like you would at home during movie night or walk and hold hands and tell each other something you love about each other. You know, there are no roles that are imported into those or no roles that are played into those instructions. They're really just expressing their love. And, and especially like with ones when you're just telling a couple to snuggle up like they would at home during movie night, that gives them something tangible to, to relate back to. And so it's going to result differently with every couple, even that simple prompt, because they're going to, Move, they're going to be in a position that is most most comfortable for them and most reflective of what their relationship looks like. I really love that because actually it, it's funny when when you when you described that I was actually picturing myself with my girlfriend on the couch watching a movie like what that would look like and then how that would translate to a photo and it, what's so important about that is that number one most couples probably in some form or fashion can picture what that looks like and and hopefully feel comfortable enough as a result of the relationship that you said that you create with them that they can kind of act that out. But you're using terminology at that point that isn't foreign. You're you're describing an image or a scene that they're familiar with versus using some type of photographic term that is either really cliche or maybe is so far out there that they don't even understand what you're talking about. So you're making it very, I guess, relatable and tangible for them, which is really, really cool. I do love the guiding versus posing. And I love the distinction that you made about that too. I think that's wonderful. It encourages a a more natural image. And um, so this is good. All right, take us to the next one. Awesome. So the next one, and I think my favorite, because I'm just a huge advocate of reciprocity throughout my entire life, but use reciprocity when you're directing your couples. And so if you give a couple a direction or a pose, a great way to create an equal experience is to have each partner switch places. And so this will give you as a photographer more imagery to work with. And, you know, especially if that prompt or direction gives, asks for, you know, one partner to give the other some love or kisses or that sort of thing and make sure that each partner is getting an equal experience um, with you and from their partner too, because who doesn't love to be loved on? And, and yeah, it's just a really great way to make sure that both partners are being highlighted within a pose and just, again, creating an equal experience, which is really, really important. Well, and, and this is really interesting, too, because it, it is like even if we move outside the LGBTQ plus community and look at most photography and I'll take engagement uh, portraits, for example, you do see these very stereotypical roles played out. And there is one person who is who tends to do you know, a certain certain things, whether it's the kiss or the hug or the lean in or the you know closed eyes or whatever. And then maybe the other person does the, the other things. Um, and, and usually it is a kind of a male female split roles. I, I, for the sake of just simple variety, it would be a good thing for any and all photographers working with all types of couples to, to put this into practice in their business for the sake of variety. I think it's great, but then certainly for the sake of, as you said earlier, kind of minimizing the, the stereotypical gender roles and creating a feeling of equality and reciprocity. It's, it's certainly important, particularly in this context. So that's really good too. What, what else do you have for us? This is, this has been good. Awesome. So um, my last tip would be to, uh, is, is a question to ask yourself. So if you're going to place the couple into a pose and you're worried if you're basing this pose off of gender roles, ask yourself, if I reverse the position of each partner, does this pose still work? If the answer is no, consider a different prompt or pose mm. or maybe even use reciprocity here to create an equal experience. 
That's good. And, and it does kind of play in the idea that we were just talking about of reciprocity, but this asking this question probably gives further context to that concept or that principle. And so that's good. It makes it really, really practical. Practical, And, you know, something that we talked about actually before we started recording, and maybe you can kind of close with this, um, was the importance of not making assumptions when it comes to working with couples from the LGBTQ plus community. Can you kind of get, expound on that, explain what uh, you were, what you were talking to me about at that point? Absolutely. So when you're working with the LGBTQ plus community, it's important to never make assumptions about any couple, even if one partner appears masculine presenting and the other is feminine presenting. That's their gender expression. And it doesn't tell you anything about their needs or role in a relationship. And so this is just really important because sometimes, you know, you might have a couple where one does have a masculine presenting expression and the other feminine. And on a wedding day, one's wearing a suit and one's wearing a dress. But even so, that does not that does not mean that you can assign gender roles to them because you don't know what their love looks like and and there's been many times where i've had someone i've had a couple where you know the partner who has more of a feminine presenting expression ends up being the big spoon in the relationship and so just really allowing them to to tell you and to show you what's comfortable for them and not making any assumptions or forcing anything onto a couple it's just a really great way to approach it really with any couple, but especially when working with the LGBTQ plus community. That's really good. And yeah, I'm glad that you made that point at the end too, with really any couple. I mean, you know, the, of course the, the beautiful, I guess, idea behind this principle is that it's applicable to any and all relationships, whether it's personal relationships. I mean, we, you know, we're automatically going to get in trouble and, in, in a, whether it's just a, a um, an acquaintance relationship or a close friendship or a close relationship with a family member, certainly with um, our significant others, if we start making assumptions, we're, we're asking for trouble. And that's particularly true in this case. And so, again, playing on the idea that you talked about earlier, the significance of developing a close, comfortable relationship um, with your couples where you are showing an extreme amount of empathy, you're keeping your eyes and your ears open, you're asking lots of questions. It's really, really important to not assume. And uh, I think this is a beautiful lesson for all of us on all levels to take away um, from this conversation today. But thank you so much, Cassandra, for, for sharing your perspective on the topic. And uh, this is a really great conversation. And if you don't mind, will you share or remind our listeners where they can find you online, both your website again, and then also social media? Absolutely. My website is CassandraZetta.com. And then you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest with the handle at CassandraZetta. Perfect. And we'll link to those in the show notes. Thank you again for this really lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.